Hi, and welcome to Popaholics, the show where dad and daughter dish on pop culture over a drink. I'm Steve Hall. Normally, Kate Hall would be with me, but uh, real life intruded this week, and we didn't have a chance to get together to record. Uh, Rather than have the show go dark, though, I decided to do one on something I was curious about. The other day, I did a Facebook post about... um, how the song Me and Bobby McGee came about with um, Chris Christopherson, the songwriter, uh, mentioning that he was partly inspired by the Fellini film La Strada. Uh, That got me wondering, what about really common songs that we all know and have sung zillions of times, where did they come from? Okay, I'm talking about songs like Happy Birthday, For He's a Jolly Good Fellow, Old Lang Syne, and Jingle Bells. And what I found was pretty surprising. You, you would not guess that the, uh, the origins of these songs include Marie Antoinette, um, a, <laughs> a song that you thought was in the public domain uh, all these years and has been quietly earning millions of dollars for the company that holds the copyright. And then um, one of the songs, uh, if it was had its debut the same way that it did uh, originally, there would be howls of protest. So before we dig into some of these fascinating origin stories, first, the most important thing, what am I drinking? I am drinking a beer from Stone Brewing, Dayfall. Uh, It's a Belgian white brewed with orange peel and coriander. Um, You can pick up some notes of honey, um, maybe graham cracker if if your palate's really good. It's very bright and refreshing. Um, a l- slightly tart with a smooth finish. Uh, I would compare this beer to Blue Moon uh, once you have an orange peel inside Blue Moon, okay? So that is uh, Dayfall. It's quite a good beer from uh, Stone Brewing. So the first song we're going to talk about is Happy Birthday to You, also known as Happy Birthday. Of course, we have all sung this at, uh, you know, to celebrate a person's birthday. Uh, according to the 1998 Guinness World Records, it is the most recognized song in the English language. Imagine that, the most recognized song, followed by For He's a Jolly Good Fellow, which we're also going to talk about later. Uh, the song's lyrics have been translated into at least 18 languages. Now, to understand where the song comes from, first, we have to jump into our time machine, and fly over the United States. The year, 1893. We're flying down, down. We see Louisville. We see bluegrass. We see bourbon. We see racehorses. And we see two teachers, Patty and Mildred Hill, sisters, And uh, Patty is a kindergarten principal at uh, a place called the Little Loom House. She's developing various teaching methods. And Mildred is a pianist and composer. So they come up with this song. Uh, I I imagine it went like this. Patty said, um, I do declare, Mildred, don't you think we need a song for the young children that's easy to sing? And Mildred replied, Oi, that's right. I don't know why Mildred sounds like she's from a Python sketch. But yeah, they came up with this song that was called Good Morning to All. Okay. And so they published the tune in their 1893 songbook, 
Song Stories for the Kindergarten, which was published by a Chicago publisher, Clayton F. Summy. Now, um, there's been speculation that the Hill Sisters copied um, the tune and lyrical idea from other popular 19th century songs. Um, Happy greetings to all, good night to you all, a happy new year to all, and a happy greeting to all. Uh, You know, everybody got their alls in there. So meanwhile, the complete text of happy birthday to you, you know, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, etc., that we sang, first appeared in print as the final four lines of Edith Goodyear Alger's poem, Roy's Birthday, which was published in A Primer of Work and Play, copyrighted in 1901, with no reference to those words being sung. So along the line, somebody decided, hey, these, these words, happy birthday, would go great with good morning to all. And so soon enough, it appeared in a book called The Elementary Worker and His Work in 1911. Now, up to this point, none of the uh, lyrics uh, of happy birthday to you um, included credits or copyright notices. So in 1935, the, the Summy Company of Chicago credit, uh, registered a copyright crediting happy birthday to you to Preston Ware Orem and Mrs. R. R. Foreman. So Sumi Company became another company. Then that became a division of Birch Tree Group Limited. Then in 1988, Warner Chapel Music purchased the company uh, for $25 million with the value of Happy Birthday to You estimated at $5 million. Now, all these years, we've, you, like me, you've probably been singing Happy Birthday to You, not realizing it's a copyrighted song. You probably thought it was in the public domain, meaning you could sing it for free. Well, Warner Brothers, Warner Chapel, excuse me, uh, claimed that any time the song was used for any group where a su- substantial number of those in attendance were not family or friends of the performer, or if it was used in film, television, radio, anywhere open to the public, they were owed royalties. So, for instance, let's say you go to a U2 concert. You pay to get in. Uh, you know, During the concert, concert Bo- Bo- Bono says, uh, it's the Edge's birthday. Let's all sing happy birthday to him. Uh, as I understand the rule, the law here, um, then you two would have to pay royalties for happy birthday to you. So this was incredibly profitable. Uh, in 2008 alone, Warner collected about $5,000 per day, which works out to $2 million per year in royalties for happy birthday to you. So they're going along. The money millions are rolling in from, for happy birthday to you. And then, in 2013, a documentary filmmaker, Jennifer Nelson, filed a class auction lawsuit in federal court for the Southern District of New York against Warner Chapel in the name of her production company, Good Morning to You Productions. She had had to pay $1,500 to secure the rights uh, to Happy Birthday to You, Uh, as part of a documentary that she was making about the song and its history. So in her lawsuit, she argued uh, she should get the money back 
and that happy birthday to you should actually be in the public domain. So there were, uh, you know, legal action for two years, and then in 2015, uh, Warner Chapel's copyright claim was declared invalid, and they had to pay back $14 million in licensing fees. Ouch. One of the most interesting songs um, to me was Jingle Bells, um, of course, which is one of the best-known, commonly sung American songs in the world. It was written by James Lord Pierpont, who lived from 1822 to 1893, and public, originally published under the title The One Horse Open Sleigh in the autumn of 1857. Now, Pierpont was a very interesting character. From an early age, uh, he sought adventures far away from his family in Boston. He ran away at the age of 14 uh, from boarding school, joined the crew of a whaling ship, and spent nearly a decade at sea. Then when the California gold rush struck in 1849, he left his wife and children behind in Massachusetts while he chased riches in the West. So then he returned home several years later, uh, no wealthier than when he had left, um, and he departed from his family again, this is 1853, to become the organist at a Unitarian church in Savannah, Georgia, where his brother was the pastor. Several months after the death of his first wife in 1856, the songwriter married a daughter of Savannah's mayor and left the two children from his first marriage back in the, in the north with their grandfather. Um, Pierpont's uh, nephew uh, was somebody you've heard of, J.P. Morgan. Uh, he, of course, he went into the banking business and sort of was the epitome of the Gilded Age, uh, the riches and whatnot. Um, now, when the Civil War broke out, um, Pierpont's father and brother took fiery stands against slavery, but Pierpont himself was a staunch supporter of the Confederacy. He enlisted with the 1st Georgia Cavalry and served as a company clerk. Meanwhile, his father served on the Union side as chaplain of the 22nd Massachusetts Infantry. During the Civil War, James, uh, Lord you know, Pierpont wrote Confederate anthems including Strike for the South, We Conquer or Die, and Our Battle Flag. Now, how did uh, Jingle Bells come about? Well, two places claim to be the birthplace of Jingle Bells. There's a historical plaque in the Boston suburb of Medford, Massachusetts, that claims that Pierpont wrote his famous tune while nursing a drink in the Simpson Tavern in 1850. That would have been a year after his father took over a nearby Unitarian church as pastor. Um, this is unlikely, scholars point out, given that uh, Pierpont probably wouldn't have waited seven years to publish um, you know, the song, given his need for money, and also uh, that he was in California uh, chasing gold uh, at the time. In 1985, Savannah, Georgia, erected a historical marker of its own across from the Unitarian Church, where Pierpont was music director uh, at the time the song was published, and probably soon after it was written in the city. Um, there's a Boston University faculty member, uh, Kaina Hamill, uh, who is, uh, you know, speculated that Pierpont probably wrote the song in the early summer of 1857 while temporarily living in a Boston rooming house. One thing that is not in dispute is that Pierpont drew upon 
his memories of sleigh rides and sleigh races in Massachusetts when he was growing up. Um, Jingle Bells has no original connection to Christmas, but it became associated with Christmas music in the holiday season in the 1860s and 1870s and was featured in a variety of parlor song and college anthologies in the 1880s. It was first recorded in 1889. Jingle Bells, uh, this is interesting trivia, was the first song broadcast from space um, in a prank by Gemini 6 astronauts Tom Stafford and Wally Shearer. While in space on December 16, 1965, they sent this report to Mission Control. Gemini 7, this is Gemini 6. We have an object that looks like a satellite going from north to south up in the polar orbit. He's in a very long trajectory traveling from north to south. Has a very high climbing ratio. Looks like it might even be a very low. Looks like it might be going to re-enter soon. Stand by one. You might just let me try to pick up that thing. The astronauts then produced a harmonica they had smuggled aboard, a, a Honer Little Lady harmonica, approximately one inch by three-eighths of an inch wide, uh, and shut sleigh bells, and with Shearer on the harmonica and Stafford on the bells, they broadcast a rendition of Jingle Bells. Pretty cool, huh? Now, um, at the beginning of the show, I alluded to a con- uh, the fact that the premiere of one of these songs would elicit howls of protest today, and uh, that song is Jingle Bells. So when it was first, per- for when a One Horse Open Sleigh, its original title, was first printed in September of 1857, it was dedicated to John Ordway, uh, who was a Boston doctor, composer, and organizer of a troupe of white men performing in blackface called Ordway's Aelians. Pierpont, um, after going to the gold rush, wrote one of his first songs, The Return Californian, 1852, um, performed by Ordway's Menstrels, and it appears the same was the case for about a dozen of his subsequent songs, including Jingle Bells. Boston University uh, has reported that um, there's a playbill from September 15th, 1857 show by Ordway's group that lists a performance of One Horse Open Sleigh, again, the original title of Jingle Bells, by Johnny Pell, who is described as a member of the Dandy Darkies. Well, uh, in 2017, Boston University professor Kina Hamill, who we've mentioned previously, published an academic paper revealing that Jingle Bells uh, had been first performed in blackface. This academic paper produced a significant backlash, and many people pointed out the song was not written for minstrels originally, um, and that uh, none of the lyrics were racist, and that the authors were not racist. Of course, you have to wonder about that, given um, Pierpont's association with the Confederacy. Anyway, uh, Professor Hamilton has, quote, always been keen to stress that the song is not racist and that people should continue to sing it, unquote. And so that is the story of Jingle Bells. Which brings us to, for he's a jolly good fellow. All those years that happy birthday to you uh, was not in the public domain, for he's a jolly good fellow was, and it was frequently used instead of happy birthday to you in films and TV to avoid possible copyright issues. Um, Now, this song, uh, the melody originates from a popular French folk song, and you should probably get ready to drink because I think I'm going to mispronounce this. Marbre Sien Viat 
Guerre, uh, which in English means Marlboro has left for the war, which was composed the night after the Battle of, <laughs> get ready to drink again, Malplaquet in 1709. Now, here's where Marie Antoinette comes in. She had a nurse uh, for her, her infants, and one of the, the nurses would sing uh, this to uh, the infant as a lullaby. Prior to losing her head, Marie Antoinette was like a social media influencer today. She thought the tune was, was you know, the bomb. <laughs> Talked it up, and pretty soon everybody in Paris was walking around humming it. The melody became so popular in France that Beethoven used it to represent the French defeat in his composition, Wellington's Victory, Opus 91, written in 1813. Uh, interesting thing about, for he's a jolly good fellow, no one knows where the words came from. Um, the first date we have of the melody being associated with the familiar English words was in 1870 in New York, when the tune was known as We Won't Go Home Till the Morning which we love that sentiment. The British and American versions of For He's a Jolly Good Fellow are different. Of course, the American version is For He's a Jolly Good Fellow, For He's a Jolly Good Fellow, He's a Jolly Good Fellow, which nobody can deny. Nobody can deny. Nobody can deny. For He's a Jolly Good Fellow. You know how it goes, okay? So the British version is For He's a Jolly Good Fellow, For He's a Jolly Good Fellow, For He's a Jolly Good Fellow, and so say all of us. Old Lang Syne, uh, which we all, of course, traditionally sing uh, on New Year's Eve to bid farewell to the old year at the stroke of midnight. Um, the text of Old Lang Syne is a Scots language poem that was written by Robert Burns in 1788, uh, and it was based on an older Scottish folk song. You see, some of Mr. Burns' best work was done by borrowing. I see Smithers. Who's this James Watson fellow? It's written Old Lang Syne. Get him in here, and Simpson too. That was possibly the worst Montgomery Burns imitation in the history of Simpsons imitations. Anyway, Robert Burns sent a copy of uh, the original song to the Scots Musical Museum in 1788 with the remark, The following song, an old song of the olden times, which has never been in print, nor even in manuscript, until I took it down from an old man. Um, some of the lyrics were indeed collected by Burns, uh, rather than composed. Um, the ballad Old Lang Syne, printed in 1711 by James Watson, shows a lot of similarity in the first verse and the chorus to Burns' later poem. And um, so it's almost certainly derived from the same old song. Um, the phrase Old Lang Syne, it's also used in similar poems by Robert Ayton, Alan Ramsey, uh, as well as older folk songs uh, that predated Burns. Matthew Fitt uses the phrase, in the days of Old Lang Syne, as the equivalent of once upon a time in his retelling of fairy tales in the Scots language. In 1799, uh, Burns' poem was set to another traditional tune, uh, which has since become the standard melody we associate with. Uh, would have been called The Miller's Wedding or The Miller's Daughter. It's a stress bay, probably should drink there, which is basically a reel that's played at a slightly slower tempo with an emphasis on different beats. Have you ever wondered what Auld Lang Syne means? Obviously, it means something about bidding farewell to the old or something. Uh, that was my guess. Okay. 
So it can be translated into standard English as old, long, since, or less literally, long, long ago, or days gone by, or old times. Um, So consequently, for old Lang Syne, as it appears in the first line of the chorus, might be loosely translated as for the sake of old times. And they should never be forgot. That's what, that's what I say. Uh, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Popaholics. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, Popaholics Podcast, and um, on Twitter at Popaholics. Please uh, write to us at popaholicspodcast at gmail.com with your recommendations or thoughts on things that we have talked about. Um, I want to mention our, our good uh, friend of the show, Don, recently um, picked up on our recommendation of the cult movie Slither, said, amazing cat, awesome cast, uh, one of my new favorite movies, and Don recommended a Spanish horror series, 30 Coins, that's a bit of a mashup between Damien and The X-Files and uh, the Stephen, Curie's, Stephen King's inspired series, The Dome. So uh, 30 coins. So check that out uh, on Don's recommendation. And please, we would love to hear, hear from you. Podcast at gmail.com. Finally, I want to mention our playlist uh, for this week, uh, which you can find on Spotify. Popaholics number 30 playlist will feature versions of the songs we discussed today as well as songs with the word song in the title. Again, that's words with song in the title. So please check that out on Spotify, Popaholics number 30 playlist. Uh, I think that's it for today Um, for uh, myself and uh, Kate Hall, who will hopefully be back next week. (laughs) I'm Steve Hall. Go out and enjoy pop culture.